the word of the living God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's my line. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm, Elder. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good to have everybody this morning. Praise the Lord. All those that are watching by live stream. Um, I, I was, this week I was going through the, about, let me, let me back up a little, about a couple of months ago, uh, God's been putting on my heart about uh, changing things, not just changing things for the sake of change, but basically that he was transforming the church or uh, bringing change to the church. One of those changes in, in the, being in the last days that we're in, we'd be seeing more miracles. And God is, was pouring out miracles. Another thing, too, I shared with our prayer team last night uh, is the attitude of worship and getting into God's presence. We need to hunger and thirst after his presence more than about anything else. I mean, you know, the, the church has been... Uh, very good at preaching the word, giving the word forth, but t teaching people how to enter into the presence of God has been kind of on the weak side, praise the Lord. Uh, and, but I, I feel God's urging in this matter uh, to bring us more into fellowship with him. Uh, how many know that Jesus, when he walked the earth, he didn't portray his own ideas, he portrayed the Father. Here's another thing that we don't understand about Jesus. He laid aside his deity. Now, he was still all God and all, all, all man. But when he walked on the earth, when we see him in the Gospels, I'm going to share some thoughts with you this morning. When we see him in the Gospels, we see him performing as man, but connected to a different realm, if I can put it that way. So he, and, and, and he said, the things you see me do, he said, is because of the Father. He said, I don't do anything that the Father tells me to do. He said, so the, the, what you see me do is, is, is the, uh, under the direction of the Father. So we see Jesus healing. We know that it's God's will for us to be healed. We, we saw them doing the miracles. But he taught us something. He taught us how to connect. He was teaching us how to connect to the Father through his name. And this is what I want to talk about a little bit. The title of my message this morning is The Place of God's Intervention. I don't know about you, but I can think over the years, I've been, uh, I've been in ministry probably over 36 years, 30 years just in Key West. Uh, and more than that, longer than that for a Christian, I was saved back in 1976, so I go, I'm an old guy, I know. But uh, the thing is, 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 it never ceases to amaze me. God never seems to dry up with ideas. We dry up with ideas all the time, but God always seems to bring in something fresh and new. And I, the, I love the relationship for the, to bring in the freshness of God into our lives. Uh, I, I look forward to it on a daily basis. Uh, I, I find myself anymore desiring to be in the presence of God more than just hearing about Him, more than just reading His Word even. Of course, the Word will usher us into the presence of God, but to come into His presence. Uh, I got thinking about this when I came up with this title this morning. I got thinking about all the times that God's, uh, God intervened in certain circumstances or situations things that could have been turned out tragic for Kevin Kerr, uh, God would intervene in those things and I would receive protection. God would intervene in certain things, I would receive healing. So I want to talk about the place of God's intervention. Of course, a place, I'm not talking about a geographical location when I say place. I'm talking about where we meet God, where he comes into us and begins to minister to us spiritually how to listen better to our spirits. How many know uh, uh, a lot of times our spirit is blocked by our brain or the soulish realm? Man's made up of three parts, Paul told us. He said the whole wholeness of man, he says body, soul, and spirit. 
And uh, the, the spirit is what God directly communicates to us with, which also communicates to the soul's realm, is where sometimes the translation gets lost. <laughs> so uh, that's why Paul said, uh, one of the things he said, uh, he said, begin to renew your mind. Your, our minds need to be renewed yeah. to what? Our spirits. Now our spirits are born again, uh, brand new, but our minds need to be renewed to the new uh, newness of ourselves. I, I was going through my library and looking at different books as I do. If you go in my office, my office looks like the city library. I've got books that I've collected probably over 36 years or more. I've collected books and different things. I just slide them on, slide them on a shelf. Uh, uh, I've read most of them. <laughs> There's some reference books that are about like encyclopedias. I probably haven't read page to page of those, but other books uh, small. Anyway, I was going through my, uh, and I come across the book, and I, I came uh, that I thought was good. I, uh, it said this. It said, uh, uh, because God is better than I think, I must adjust my thinking to the tender, uh, the thinking and the tenderness of my heart until I live conscious of both his nature and his presence, and that the awareness uh, then becomes the reality I live from. I like that. Says, because God is better than I think, I got to readjust my thinking to his goodness. Yes, I got to readjust my thinking. That, is, that speaks volumes of what I'm about to teach. It really does. Because basically this is what we need to, we, we need to adjust our thinking, our ways to his ways, not the other way around. Many Christians are trying to shoehorn God into their uh, routine. Uh, well, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. I, I don't have time for church. I don't have time. To get, I don't have time for God. And basically, God is just being pushed out, pushed out, pushed out. Now He's still thinking better of us than we're thinking of Him. If that's even you know, in this stage of game, is that possible? Yes. Because God's always thinking on the next higher plane. He lives in a different realm than we live in. He lives in a realm where nothing with Him is impossible. We live in a realm where a lot of things are seen to be impossible. So we need to adjust our thinking according to, what, uh, to who God is. I, I like that anyway. I, another thing I came up with as I was thinking in prayer, sometimes I, God gives me these things in prayer, sometimes I hear them different places, and I jot them down in my notes because I think they're, they're good and pertinent for what I'm about to teach on. I mean, you know, Jesus was the Word that was made flesh. I'm going to get to the Scripture in a minute. Jesus was the Word that was made flesh, but then when he spoke, the words that came out of his mouth became spirit. His, he was the word. John uh, chapter 1 says the word was flesh. And, uh, the word was manifest, became flesh, which is Jesus. Jesus was the actual uh, personification of the word of God himself. Standing in the physical, when he was in the physical, he was word. But when that physical began to speak out, the words that he spoke then became spirit again. Amen? Praise the Lord. I like that. But the, his words became spirit. Jesus said this. He said, the words I speak to you, and this is, word, and this is how we take them, the word that I speak to you, or the words that we accept from him, they are spirit and they are life. Amen? So we got life given. I thought that was pretty good, but to think about that, yeah, Jesus was, was the word that was made flesh. And now he's, he's when he speaks, his words become spirit. I like and another thing I wrote in my notes, I think about uh, different people. I was praying uh, this week for people and different things. That, uh, and this thought came to me. This is something that we all wrestle with. But this thing, kind of, I said, and I put this, anyone who has more input from the mainstream media, how many has looked at them? Any more in my household, I just turn off the news. Um, 
half of it's fake, and the other half is elaborated. <laughs> I don't need either. What I need in my life nowadays is truth. So the only place I'm going to find truth is I go back to the Word. But I, I, I wrote this down anyway. Uh, I didn't. I heard this someplace. I forgot where I heard it. But anyway, I heard this someplace. Anyone who who has more input, mainstream media over the Word of God, their discouragement is self-inflicted. And I've seen this in my own life. Uh, their discouragement is self-inflicted. You cannot get encouragement by, by looking at what the world is doing, especially the day and hour we live in now, especially the day and hour. But our encouragement must come from the Lord. So hopefully I can give you some things this morning, uh, give you some, I, I, go through over some scriptures this morning that will help uh, give you some encouragement. How many in, in the church are going to use some encouragement? Amen. Raise your hand if you want encouragement. Okay. Raise your hand if you don't want encouragement. Raise the other hand if you don't want encouragement. No, no takers for discouragement, but all kinds of takers for encouragement. I'll, I'll take that as, okay, we, we voted in the House. Uh, probably the only thing we'll vote on here this morning. But <laughs> anyway, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 21. I want to talk about Jesus. Can I talk about Jesus this morning? Uh, one of the statements he made. Now, I want to talk about the area that, you know, of Jesus that we, we, we try to wrap our head around some of this stuff. But in, in, in try to put ourselves in, in a place. You ever read the scriptures and try to put yourself in that time frame? Put yourself to where the scriptures actually took place. So here we are. What we're going to do, uh, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Uh, let me take you back 2,000 years. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. And this is, the, this is uh, in this particular time. And, and what happens is he tells his disciples, he says, go get me a donkey. Or colt, or what you know, the, however it's phrased, but a donkey, and he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. My first question is, why a donkey? Not me. I want a white stallion. And I want, you know, I'm going to, we're going to make this is going to be a, a big entrance here. But Jesus said, no. See, the the idea of a donkey going into to Jerusalem, the idea was he didn't come as a warring king. He came in as a king, but he came in as a king of peace. Interesting about the donkey, it was a type of breed of donkey. Uh, this is by tradition. This isn't, you can't find this in Scripture, but I, I looked it up traditionally studying about. I know, I get into details. I start studying about the donkey that he rode. <laughs> okay, what kind of donkey was it? What well, was Anubis donkey? With Anubis donkey, we know it's kind of, this is tradition now. This isn't Scripture, but tradition says that it, uh, if you know about the Anubis donkey, the Anubis donkey has a cross in his, in, on his back. It, it, there's a black stripe that goes down the spine of the donkey. I don't know if this information is helpful. I just, I give you one of those, you know, those inter, interesting uh, tidbits, I guess. But and then it has a stripe that goes across. And if you look at the top of the donkey, it makes a cross. And Jesus sat on the cross, going to Jerusalem, going to the cross. Uh, it was kind of interesting. If it's if it's a, a folk tale or whatever, I, I still think it's kind of kind of neat. But anyway, Jesus did ride in on a donkey. The Bible does say that. And of course, we know that Palm Sunday. So <laughs> we call Palm, where they laid out, and they 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 were begin to receive Jesus. He immediately went from that reception uh, with his disciples. He went to the temple. When he got to the temple, he saw a sight that he did not like. And that sight, what he saw, he saw people standing on the people on the outside of the temple. He looked up at the temple, but inside the temple, he saw something that was very disturbing. And what he saw, he saw uh, merchants buying and selling livestock in the temple. And what he's begin to do, it begin to boil up in Jesus, of course, as is prophesied. And in verse 20, in Matthew 21, verse 13, he said unto them, it is written, uh, he, he went in there 
And he said this, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Mark that down, a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Okay, so this is, this is the favor. Now, Jesus came up with that scripture, not himself. This is also, if you want to jot this down, in Isaiah 56, 7, it says, even them that bring my holy mountain, I will make joyful in my house of prayer. There it is again, house of prayer. Matter of fact, you'll find this about seven other places in the Bible where it talks about this house of prayer. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning, what Jesus said. He said, and Isaiah said this, and make them joyful in my house of prayer and their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will, I, will be accepted at my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now listen to this, for all nations. So when Jesus went to the temple, he looks at this, knowing what the prophet Isaiah had prophesied, that this is a house of prayer. Now wait a minute, he said all, the prophet Isaiah said all nations. The word of God said this will be a house of prayer for all nations, but it wasn't for all nations. Matter of fact, here's the thing that Jesus saw, and he began to turn over money changers' tables and begin to drive out the cattle. Because here's the picture back in Jesus' day. It was okay to have the cattle because it's making money for us. Let me back up even further. Uh, this historical fact is what happens is if you had money uh, in the days of Jerusalem, Passover, they would gather to uh, uh, Jerusalem, the holy city, and they would, they would come from far distances. A lot of times they couldn't bring their flocks or their livestock. It wasn't practical for the journey. So they were able, able to purchase sacrifices within the city or better yet, even in the temple. So, but you couldn't use your money you had to use special temple money. If you've ever been to an airport, go into a foreign country, and I have several times, and there's a money exchanger at the airport. And you go up to the counter and say, you have to take your American dollars and say, or whatever, I use American dollars until I come back from a trip, then I cash in whatever country I've been to. And I lay down so many American dollars, and they give me back equal, the exact same amount in foreign currency, correct? No. There's a, what they call a rate of exchange. So, and who sets the rate of exchange? Well, this is a convenience for you, so whoever's making the exchange, we set the rate of exchange. Well, there is a monetary market. I used to have an app on my phone to see who had the best rate and where I was going to change my money at. But the fact that it always costs you to change money. The same thing was happening here. You bring in your Roman script or whatever you were going to bring for exchange, and then the, the, the temple script was the only thing you could use to buy offerings. That's filthy money, but our money is clean. Oh, but there is a service charge. And this was going on within the temple. Jesus was looking at this going on, and he just, I mean, we would say today, the master just flipped. I mean, come on, Jesus, he's dry, he's tipping over money table. He's driving out cattle, and everybody's flying every which way. We think, Jesus, you need an anger management class. <laughs> what is happening here? This is the meek and mild Jesus, this one who's praying for everybody. But you don't understand. You've got to see it in Matthew. You can read this in Luke, you, all the synoptic gospels. Uh, John uh, gives you another uh, version of the same thing, but that was the first time. This is the second time. He did this twice, the first beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2, and then, of course, towards the end of his ministry, this is the last week of his ministry, uh, before he went to the cross is where we're reading it here in Matthew. And all the synoptic gospels have it there. Matthew, Mark, Luke have it there. 
John is the only one that records the first time it happened. So he comes back again. But here's what Matthew puts out. He says, he, says, this is my, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. When God calls something or names something, that something has to function according to what he's called it. Right? If something is living and God says, die, that living thing dies. For instance, after Jesus walked out, of, he talked to the fig tree, cursed the fig tree, because then the figs, and of course it wasn't a season for figs, but he expected, <laughs> only Jesus would expect figs from a fig tree without a season, but he cursed the fig tree and it died from the roots. Well, there was a, a lesson there for the disciples, I don't know if they got it or not. But the fact is, is, is so whatever the master says is, we need to take, understand this because whatever, whatever Jesus calls us, that's what we should be. Anything else is not a fit. So let me get back to my first statement, an open statement. Uh, because God is better than I think. How many think God is better than I think? Oh, yeah. Then I must change and adjust my thinking so I can live according to the best that God has for me. I've got to adjust my thinking. God is not going to change. He's already established. He's not going to change for us. God doesn't all of a sudden become something because we think it fits better in our lifestyle. No, we change our lifestyle to fit what God has called us to be. Are you here? Okay, praise the Lord. So this is where, anyway, so here's the picture. I'm marching, uh, I'm with Jesus, I'm going up to the temple, I get to the front steps, and I could look, and there's, there, there, there's, there's, Goats and sheep, and, and, and of course, birds. There's no chickens. Key West, we have chickens. I mean, you can go to any church downtown in Key West and find a chicken. Okay, but we, no, there's no chickens uh, because these were, these were offering animals, and, but there would be uh, doves, right? That's for the poor people who couldn't afford, can't afford to buy a sheep. Uh, you can go ahead and buy a dove, and that would count as an offering. Uh, I'm going to get back to Isaiah in a minute, so just hold your finger there. But he said, this is what he saw. He saw the money changers that were doing, now we would say justify, as they probably did, uh, they're doing a service. Because if you're going to make that journey to the temple, you have to have a sacrifice for your atonement for your sins that year. And you have to bring that to the priest to be slaughtered. That was, this was the process. So, the, the, so in a way, the temple was supplying a service. Now we justify it today. Is supplying a service. I mean, oh, yeah, well, there's a rate of exchange. You know, we got these animals. You probably don't know this, but there was special flocks that were just outside of Bethlehem that were owned by the temple. Pharisees and so on and so forth owned these flocks just for this purpose. And they would herd them and march them into a certain distance for the temple to be sold to make money. Well, you got to make money. We've got to run a ministry, right? So we can justify this, can we? Jesus didn't justify it at all. He came in, he said, he says, he says, you turned my house of prayer uh, uh, into a den of thieves. Now, wait a minute, we're doing a service. No, no, you turned it into a den of thieves. Because basically, before somebody can come to the Father to worship them, to, to, to get atonement for their sins, they have to pay you the money. If they do not pay, will you still give them an offering? Uh, to take to a blood sacrifice. No. And this was the thievery it evolved. Because basically what happens is that it's supposed to be... A, now here's another thing that they, there was a rule. 
It says in verse 14, Then the blind, the lame, came to him in the temple, and he healed them. You got this? They came to him in the temple. That means they were outside the temple. Correct? So what is what we have? We have the blind and the lame that need healing. They need a miracle from God on the outside. And you had livestock, to be kind, livestock with its droppings and whatever livestock does. I don't know if you have any farmers in here, but the fact that all livestock inside the temple, God's house of prayer. And nobody thought this was wrong. Jesus did. So I've got people that need a miracle that are pushed off to the side because they can't pay or have anybody to bring them in. There's something he said, the blind and the lame, both of those people depended on somebody else to bring them into temple. So not only do we have a situation where we have the livestock has prior seating in the temple over people who have ailments, or, but now they don't have anybody to bring them in the temple for healing. Of course, they brought them to the Pharisees. They couldn't heal, they couldn't heal a goat, uh, let alone a person, or blind or lame. So when Jesus cleared the temple or cleared all this out, he said, this is a house of prayer. So why did he take such a violent stance towards it? Violent, when, I, I know, we, he drove sheep. I mean, sheep are used to being herded anyway. It's herd cattle. I, I doubt if there's any uh, abuse going on. But he took a stance that we never saw Jesus before. This is meek and mild Jesus, one who blesses everybody, loves everybody. And we paint pictures of Jesus with a sheep under each arm. So now all of a sudden we see Jesus seems to be out of character. No, no, Jesus is certainly in character. Because the word house of prayer, can I go back a little bit? Let me back, back up, if you will, uh, not to just jump around. Let me back up to book of Isaiah 56, 7 again. Even then I will bring my holy mountain and I will make them joy. The holy mountain talking about where the temple was built. He said, make them joyful in my house of prayer. There are burnt offering. Listen to this, burnt offerings and sacrifices. Two things are mentioned in the book of Isaiah. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. I used to see that and I used to think that's talking about, well, a house of prayer. Well, we can call church a house of prayer and we pray for all the nations. Remember our, 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 our global vision, and I've been going as a, in the mission field to different places, different countries, what, from West Africa to South America, Central America, uh, even Europe, going to different places and, and bringing the gospel. So that's what it's talking about. That's not what it means. It means a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, the nations have reserved seating. All nations, but that wasn't what was happening in Israel because only for the Jew. That's only one nation. The Gentile nations were excluded. Hmm. And Jesus said, this is not right. This is, this is against what the word says. This is against what my father says. This is what, against what the prophets say. It's a house of prayer. Now, we think a house of prayer. Okay, this is a place. Jesus wants nice and quiet. The sheep are making noise. So we just get rid of all the sheep so we can go ahead and pray and we can pray and meditate. Sound nice, doesn't it? But that's not what he's talking about. Because the word prayer in here doesn't mean that. It does mean supplication, but it's used in a context that means something else. It means intervention. The house of prayer is a house of intervention. 
Jesus said, my father's house, can I use that word just to, to bring up a point, but can, my father's house shall be a house of intervention. In other words, you've made it into a den of thieves. You have to have the, you only uh, uh, cater to the rich who can pay you to buy your goods to make some kind of religious sacrifices where form of religion becomes uh, precedence over the power of God. And they have a form of religion for so long that the power of God is absent from their services, absent from their presence. Because you can't have both. You can have one or the other, but you're not going to have both. You can't have a religious format only and expect the power of God to bless your religious ceremonies. And this is what Jesus was saying. No, no, this is my father's house, not yours. And my father's house shall be a house of prayer, a house of inter, inter, inter coming in, intervention. And intervention is something where somebody stands in the middle of something. If we had a neighbor and, 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 and the husband comes home drunk and he's beating on the wife and we as good neighbors go ahead and we cut in on him and stop him from uh, beating on the wife, that's an intervention. We're intervening on our neighbor's behalf. Amen? Amen? Yes. Uh, this, I'm just making it up. No, I don't have a neighbor like that, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All my neighbors are good. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, that, but that's, what's, that's what's called, what an intervention is. Somebody who steps in the middle intervenes. Or I can put it this way. Uh, you're walking down the street and, and, and you're about to get mugged by somebody at gunpoint. And a cop comes by and steps in and intervenes. And he protects you at peril to his own life, but protects you. That's an intervention. Jesus is saying, my father's house should be a house of intervention. It's interesting because Isaiah mentions two, two offerings. Now, there is a system of, of sacrifice. I'm not going to get into this. The book of Leviticus, uh, it gets really, you just read the whole book, you'll have the whole thing down. But basically, what has, there's five different types, categories of offerings. And under, the, uh, under uh, there's six categories under blood uh, uh, offerings. Some are mandatory, some are voluntary. Yeah. A burnt offering, okay, which goes up to God, the burnt offering is something that is burned or consumed, okay? So the burnt offering is voluntary, but here's what it says. I'm going to mention, I'm gonna, I'll bring it back in a minute. Just hang on for me. Just give me, give me some time. Uh, the burnt offering is a voluntary offering, but what it means and what it says to God is complete surrender and complete devotion. That's a burnt offering. Why? Well, you set it on fire and there's nothing left where another blood offering can be offered and it can be partially burned. The burnt part is God. And then the other part, this is where the sacrifice comes in. The sacrifice comes in and basically part of it you get to eat. The fat was reserved for the priest, but the back, basically you got to eat part of that sacrifice. What does this represent? Well, part of it is burnt. You don't eat that part. That part was sacrificed to the Lord. But part of the offering that you can consume it, what does it mark? It marks us sitting down and fellowshipping with God over a meal. Also brought atonement. So what he's mentioning, he said, my, this is my father's house, is a house of intervention to where we can come and we can fellowship and commune with God. Plus, we can give our burnt offering to the Lord. Voluntarily, we lay ourselves down completely. Everything that we have is yours. Everything that we've given is for you. 
and now it becomes, it becomes it, it's, it's yours. It's burnt. There's nothing you can make out of it anymore. It, it, it's burnt, and it goes up to God, and that's it. It's complete surrender to the Lord. So there's two aspects that, that the book of Isaiah is mentioning. Jesus is echoing that same sentiment here when he's clearing out the temple. So the system of sacrifice that Isaiah is talking about, he's talking about, okay, burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, sacrifices are just a general term. It could be uh, blood for sin. It could be a lot different. But he just categorizes it. But he singles out, out of all the systems of offerings, he singles out burnt offerings. This is a place where somebody can come and commit themselves and give everything they have to the Lord in a commit, committal sense. And now we can commune with him through the sacrifice. Total surrender. Hmm, does that sound like church we're having today? A house of prayer, we think, well, this is nice. We, you know, we get our beads and we get our, our, our implements and we sit there and we pray and we, we, just, we come in and we, we speak in tongues, we do this, we do that. It's a house of prayer. No, no, house of intervention. Because through this fellowship with God, through the burnt offering and through the, the communion with God, through the sacrifice, well, we don't, Jesus is our sacrifice today, so we don't, we're not burning anything. <laughs> we're not setting anything on fire. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, no, Jesus done away with a system of sacrifices, but here we got the Lamb of God standing in the house of the Lord. He is both the, the, he is the sacrificial Lamb that's going to be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. Are you ready for this next bit of revelation? Are you ready for this? It is absolutely crucial, I'm talking about in, in Old Testament times, absolutely crucial that if you bring a sacrifice, and let's call it, let's say a lamb, because Jesus was a lamb of God, sacrificed for the whole world, for the sins of the whole world. Here's what was required. Uh, if you went up to the tabernacle, this is before the temple, but the tabernacle, let's use the tabernacle, the priest would meet you at the outer gate. You then brought your little lammy, kicking and screaming or whatever. You brought your little lammy up to the... And then the priest, after you've expected it from all your flock, you make sure there's no blemish on it, and it's a perfect lamb. You hand it to the priest, and the priest has to look at it. Because if the priest doesn't... If he is, misses a blemish, he saw for the, this is his life. So he's looking, and he's making sure... Okay, now you're both in agreement. What just happened? You, the owner of the sheep, put your hands all over the sheep probably grabbed it by the nap of the neck and you're dragging it to the temple because it don't want to go. It was out there in the pasture just doing just fine before you come along. And is, so it's kicking and, and, and blatting or whatever it is. And then you go along and you drag it through. The priest looks again. And he says, yes, this is a perfect lamb. And the priest takes the lamb. He throws him on the altar. He slits his throat, bleeds it out, puts it on the altar. And that was a sacrifice. What did you just do? You put your hands all over that sacrifice. You could not have it count any other way. If you sent a servant to get a lamb and have sent the servant ahead of you to go to the temple, it would be the servant's sacrifice, not yours. You had to bring it and you had to lay your hands on. Can I fast forward past the temple for just a minute? Jesus is, on the, Jesus is being seized first by the religious leaders He's being beaten. As a matter of fact, he was slapped in the face or punched in the face by the religious leaders, then turned over to the Roman guards, and the Roman guards grabbed the hold of Jesus. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They whipped him at the whipping post. They spit on him. They beat him. They punched him. They kicked him. They did everything to him. What were they doing to the Lamb of God? 
without even knowing it, they were interacting with that sacrifice by laying their hands on him. So when Jesus got to the cross, we understand, wow, how could Jesus do so? He, Jesus understood everybody who beat him, everybody who touched him, everybody who whipped him, everybody who spit on him had interaction with the sacrifice, just like in the Old Testament with a sheep and a lamb. You had to have interaction with that furry little critter before you handed it over to the priest. Now Jesus was about to go to the priest of all priests, was the heavenly father. So he sat on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They truly do not know what they're doing. But everyone who touched me, everyone who struck me, everyone who beat on me, spit on me, every one of them had interaction with me. And because they had interaction with me, I am now their sacrifice. They don't own me, I own them. So I'm about to sacrifice. Father, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know, have any idea how they interacted with the Lamb of God given to the sins of the world. Which ended all systems of sacrifices because the system of sacrifice to start with was supposed to re relate to the relationship we're supposed to have with Christ and with the Father. Help anybody this morning? Yes. So there's Jesus. It said, as soon as he did this, in verse 14, then the blind, the lame, came to him in the temple and he healed them. Every single one. So what had to happen? The, 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 he had to first drive out the thing that didn't belong in the temple so he could make room for the thing that belonged in the temple but wasn't legal to be in the temple. So Jesus turned upside down the laws of the religion of that day, still does it today, and brought in mercy and grace. You can't have both. You can have your religion, but you're not going to have mercy and grace with your religion. Religion isn't a friend of God. Amen. It's an enemy. It has been an enemy from the very beginning. Yeah. Scribes and Pharisees were religious leaders. They had books of the Torah uh, memorized. They made their, sure their family was in, in order, their wives and everybody was in order. They did everything according to biblical standards and still missed out because they did not understand the mercy of the grace of God. Amen? Nor the empowerment of God. They've heard to get Jesus. Well, what, what gives you the authority to do this? What gives you the right to go ahead in our temple and upset our little service? Jesus said, the baptism of John, of God or of man? Hmm, simple, straightforward question. And they reasoned amongst themselves. Oh, we watch that word, reason. They reasoned amongst themselves. They said, well, if we say man, then all those that follow John are going to be after. But if we say God, then we're going to say, how come we don't agree with him? Uh, oh. So he said, well, we don't know. And Jesus just turned around and said, then neither will I answer your question. Didn't have a debate with religious leaders. He says, okay, well, then neither will I, I answer you. Interesting, isn't it? Yes, sir. Interesting. They could not see what was right before them. The house of prayer is God's house of intervention. It's not just a place anymore because basically if you look, uh, Paul uh, uh, tells us that our, our bodies are the very, uh, our very bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
and, and that the, the Spirit of God dwells in us. This is the temple that we live right now. So, so the place of, uh, of intervention, of God's intervention that I talked about in my title, the place of God's intervention isn't a place like a church house or church building. That's for a different purpose, but it is a, it is a biblical purpose, by the way, but a different purpose. The place that God's talking about, he says, now we have a place, Jesus, in our heart. And the place of intervention, he seems to excel past our knowledge of things around us to get into the supernatural, and we call it supernatural. How many know God lives in, in, in a natural realm that we call supernatural, but to him it's just every day? There's nothing super about it. It's just where God is, it's all super you know, to us, but to him it's just his realm. But, but, we call it, but the fact is the house of prayer now, this place of intervention, God comes into our life and the intervention happens within us. The intervention happens within our, our, our hearts and our minds. That's where we have the intervention. Whenever I uh, go through a problem, I go, Lord, I said, I need your intervention. I need your wisdom. The Bible says I, several scriptures, where you can, you can, you can, Check it if you want to. There's several scriptures that say, beware of a person who's wise in his own eyes. I see that all through the Bible. Be, beware of the person who, who, is, who is wise in their own eyes. In other words, wisdom comes, things come from your smartness. No, it's living in the temple in that place of intervention where we pray to God and God begins to deposit wisdom in our, in our, in our life. Help anybody this morning? Praise the Lord. Amen. So what happened? Jesus became the sacrifice. Amen. Praise the Lord. He became our sacrifice. He became our secret place. Let me say this. Psalms, 9, Psalms 91. one. We've been reciting this ever since the pandemic started. Uh, a whole Psalm 91. But he said, he who dwells in the secret place. That secret place means covering. Secret place word in the Hebrew means covering of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Do you remember when Peter, after the day of Pentecost, and it happened, that Peter went, the first miracle we see Peter doing through the hand, this is after Christ's ascension, uh, Peter walks by and he sees a, a, a guy, a lame guy on the steps of the temple, and he says to him, he says, silver and gold I have none, but what I have for you, what I give you, I give, and he stretched forth his right hand, the Bible says, and he says, take my hand. And the guy stood up. The guy had never walked before. And it was a divine miracle to where he walked. And he changed his life forever. Well, word got around after that. Peter, you know, has this ability to be able to pray for people. Somebody must have got it into their, into their mind that if Peter walks by in his shadow, casts onto another person that the, that the person who is sick will heal. It will be healed. So, you know, so they're bringing people out on stretchers and stuff like that. Well, Peter walks by this street every certain time. He goes on his way to the temple for prayer. If we just lay the sick people here, when Peter's shadow will go over them, they'll become healed. This is what the Bible says. And it worked. Yeah. It, it worked. Yeah. And I thought, why a shadow? A shadow has no substance to it. Peter didn't really, like the lame man, reach his hand out. Peter was changed and transformed so much by the, by the Word of God and so much by the Holy Spirit power in his life that it went from denying Peter, that the Peter was in denial that he even walked with Christ uh, when Christ was, was taken and, and, and being abused, 
okay, and, and crucified. And so you went from that point to Peter now who was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can you tell me that the house of intervention wasn't at work in Peter's heart? Amen? In such a way that what happens now, Peter looks, and now we come up to the realm, uh, his thinking comes up to the realm where God lives. Because for Jesus to go back to the temple, lay hands on the people who are blind, he did that as a man, as a man connected to a realm where there is no blindness. He did that to the lame as a man connected to the world of lameness, but living in a realm where there was no lameness. To where basically now Jesus was showing us how to tap into a realm that there is no sickness or disease. And when we can bring that realm here, how many of you remember the Lord's Prayer? Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what happens, we take the heavenly realm now and we bring it here to where it's needed and healing happens. This was so strong in Peter's life that his shadow was shadowing over the people and they were raising up healed of all kinds of ailments as Peter walked by. Why? Because forget the shadow, that just describes an air around them, a presence around them. Have you ever walked into a room, uh, maybe a room that was maybe in turmoil, but you have the peace of God walk in a room and all of a sudden the atmosphere of the room changes without you saying a word? I've had this happen. And nobody knows why, it just changes. The conversations change and things just change. But before that, it was kind of turmoilish and, 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 and confused or whatever. And then you walk in, all of a sudden you say, hi, how you doing? And you just sit there and all of a sudden the atmosphere just changes. Because when you, when you understand something, we have, how many have the Holy Spirit inside them? We have the Holy Spirit inside us, but that is not upon us. It's inside us. Same Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit resides inside us. We have it inside us. The Holy Spirit inside us is for our benefit, our benefit. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon him like they do with Peter, it's for others' benefit. So when I, every Sunday after, after service, after we're done with the live streaming, I've been laying hands on people, and people see an instantaneous uh, uh, healing uh, from pain, correct? Instantaneous. What happened? The spirit that's within me to now do God's will towards healing became upon me, and the power began to change and transform. I heard one preacher say this, I thought it was a pretty good statement. The shadow that's overshadowing you will be part of your shadow that you cast. When we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, the shadow of the Almighty now empowers our shadow, or the shadow is just a, uh, the shadow is nothing. I mean, it's not the darkness of the shadow. It's just our area of influence, you know, our presence, I should say, that put our area of presence comes in begins to change things. Am I helping anybody this morning? Yes. Praise the Lord. This is the same Peter. I like these simple stories in, in the Bible. I really, I really enjoy them. But the fact is Peter goes in and now he's arrested for what he's doing, the good he's doing. He's arrested by the Romans. And they put 16 Roman guards in charge of Peter. They got him chained between two of them. And basically he's in prison. Before that, what it says in the book of Acts chapter 12 in verse 1, it says, Now the time of Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some uh, of the church. He did it on purpose to harass the church. 
Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now was during the days of the unleavened bread. Amen. Understand something. The, both the religious spirit, as we've been studying, and the political spirit are governed by the fear of man. Herod, remember we talked about last week, I talked about the two leavens that Jesus mentioned in Mark chapter 8, where it says the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware of those two leavens. And then the disciples, they missed the point completely. They said, oh man, we bring up bread for lunch? I think we have a lack here. When it, Jesus just showed them how he can multiply, anyway. <laughs> but he said, here it is right there. Hmm, interesting to understand voting in our political systems today that both the religious and the political systems are controlled by the fear of man. So Herod sees, well, this pleased the Jew, uh, pleased, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll harass the church and please them. I'll go ahead and go to hold Peter. Peter will be next. But he held off. Peter's in prison, chain, and he was asleep. Angel comes in, kicks him, wakes him up, says, come on, we're leaving. As soon as Peter stood up, the chains fell off. As soon as he walked over the door, prison doors flew open. The guards were all asleep. The prison doors flew open. Isn't it amazing? He get, walks out of that system. He's freed. He's out on the street. So he goes to the house where the church was fervently praying. A little girl by the name of Rhoda, she came to the door. She looks out and she says, Peter, she's just in shock. She, she don't even open the door. She just walks up. She says, Peter's at the door. I said, no, he's not. He can't be. He's in prison. What were they praying for? And what were they praying for? For him, Peter to be released. But when the news comes, he's released. He's at the front door. No, he's not. Amen. God tells us to pray for revival. It doesn't mean just have one. Just pray for one. You know. But anyway, so, so they get out and they let Peter. I just think that's, that's cool. It took an angel to open up the prison doors as Peter's walking out. But a little girl couldn't open the door to let him into the church. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> or to the place where they are gathered, which would have been a church wherever they gathered. I thought that was pretty, I just think that's pretty cool. Amen. <clears throat> but Jesus warned them, this is the leaven that he's talking about. I was going to come against the church. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now, there might have been prayer for James, but it's not recorded. But here's what we have recorded. As soon as the, the squads of soldiers took, took Peter, there was a constant prayer that was offered to God by his church. There was a constant air of prayer. Can I suggest to you <clears throat> that we are in that day and hour to where we need to be in a constant, con continuous prayer, not just for the church, but for the will of God to be done in our nation and the will of God to be done in our, our community, for that matter. This is the new, this is the shift, I don't say new, it's not really new, but this is the shift where I see God's spirit leading even this church to now even more vehemently get into prayer. Praise the Lord. Uh, not because we want to see certain results. Listen, if God filled this church up tomorrow and, we can, and we're overflowing and we get a bigger building, fine, we'll get a bigger building. Beside all that, that's not the purpose. I know that through American churches, but that's not the purpose of God. Purpose of God is to lead His people, not drive them in. Amen. When I when I first came to as a testimony, when I first came to the Lord. I mean, 
uh, I went to a, a, a revival service in a, in a denominational church that I belonged to, and, and I had already given my heart to the Lord, but that evangelist scared me so much I gave it again and again. I must have spent five or six times down at the altar still getting born again because of the fear that was driven. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Maybe it has a place, maybe it doesn't. What I'm talking about is having a yearning on the inside because now that place of intervention, not because we need something from God, but because we desire His presence. Is it too hard for the church to forget about their needs for just a second? Because we all have them. How many needs in here this morning? How many could use, use something? Anything, just anything. See, I, I could pray all day long. We have needs. Everybody's got needs. But what if we took and set aside for a moment our needs? Let's think about this just for a second. Set aside our, our, our moment and our needs. What aches and pains we have won't bother us. And what if we just switch that to a desire, nothing more, nothing less, than to be in the presence of the Father? And let the shadow of the Almighty begin to descend on us. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, now He works through us for other people. The Holy Spirit that's within us comes out of us, and com uh, comes up through us, and comes out of us. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and descends, remember Jesus when he was water baptized? Come up out of the river Jordan, and the Spirit of God descended upon him. Did he need the Spirit of God inside him? Hmm. Now he's born of the Spirit of God. He was the only one who was Spirit-filled. So it wasn't about being Spirit-filled, but it was about the Spirit of God. And, 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 a, and a, as, a, as a dove descended upon him and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And all of a sudden, there was an empowerment that came upon Jesus, walking as a man, though he was deity, but walking as a man to commission and do all the things that he was doing. Now, let's go back to the temple. Can I, I spring you back a little bit more? The disciples are watching all this. Jesus needs an anger management class. He's driving out the sheep. He's driving out the goats. He's driving out. He's turning over money changers' tables. There's a disarray, money flying all over the floor. I imagine everybody making a nosedive to pick up their money. All this is going on, and here's the blind person. They can hear it, but they can't see it. Here's the lame person. They can see it and hear it, but can't get to it. But desire it so much, if I can only walk again, if I can only see again, if I can only do this again, and they've got real problems, and the money changers are just there. They're just trying to scap up what's dear to them. But when all that was cleared away and all that was swept out of the temple, here's Jesus and bring them to me. And they did. They just grabbed a hold of these people and they brought them in the presence of Jesus. And the Bible said Jesus healed every single one, every single person that was on the outside desiring to be in. The ones on the inside desiring to be out to spend their money and to take pleasures in their, in, in their profits but the ones on the outside wanting to be in. I believe there's a transformation process that's happening today, even in the church today. We're going to see this in the end times. To where the ones that have been on the fringe and kind of forgotten about out here are now going to be brought in and the blind eyes are going to be open and the lame are going to be able to walk again. Yes, sir. And the next time they go to temple, they're going to see it with their own eyes in the front door, and they're going to walk up the steps themselves without being carried. And they're going to come to that place of God, and it's going to be a new day and a new enlightenment.
But first, what has to happen, a radical move of God has to come into the religious heart. And a radical change has to happen to where the money changers are flipped out and the desire to come into God's presence comes in. I didn't say you can't make a living. I'm saying what takes precedence in our life? We saw this pandemic has shown us a lot of things in the local church. When I talk to people, are you afraid to come back to church? Are you afraid that we're contagious because we all wear a mask and do what are we going to do? No, 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 no. Just have to work. Work? You have to work. Yeah, I got to work. Well, we live in a community that is geared up for tourism, so it is very possible. Everything is open on Sundays. When we go to church, people have to work. And I'm not, I'm not judging that. No, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not judging that. But the fact is, don't we have to decide someplace, where does God fit in all this? Where does God fit in? I mean, we're here Tuesday nights. We're here Saturday nights. We're here Sunday mornings, right? Um, Zoom conferencing with my leadership on Monday nights. So we've we got a pretty, pretty good week. So any of those things, but we're not seeing them on any of those nights either. The ones that say, well, you know, I've got to work. So you're working seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You never stop. You never get off. You know, <laughs> because we got all different time schedules in here, but it doesn't seem to seem, always seem to meet. Is it possible that something cut in on you, as Paul told the church in Galatia? You did serve well, but he used the term bewitched. Who bewitched you? Who cut in on you that you shall no longer obey the truth that you know that you used to do, but you don't do anymore? Just a, just a, just, just a, not condemning anybody, but I believe I see this shift. I saw, I saw again last night in prayer when we were here. I see this shift that we've got to get our desire more towards the presence with the Father, communion with the Father. We've got to get that burnt offering thing down. Come on, burn it and, let it and give it to God. Huh? Problems and situations, depressions, whatever. Burn them things on the altar of God and let God take them and replace them with something that's holy and something that's significant. Just a thought. Are we here this morning? Getting out of this message so far. Praise the Lord. So when Jesus went in, he said, this would be called a house of intervention. I'm going to use the word intervention. He said a house of prayer, but same thing. This is where we intervene. This is where we intervene. Jesus stepped in and intervened for the people that were on the outside wanting to be in. And the people on the inside just using it for a money, a business venture. He threw out the people that were using the church for, I would say church, but not synagogue, the temple. Threw them out for using it for business. And he made a way for the ones that desired to be in to come in. And then he changed them. He just didn't bring them. He changed them. Are you there? So it seems like to me, the money changers are leaving. If not already gone. Now, the blind, spiritually blind, can't see nothing. I don't know anything about God. I mean, this stuff is all anomaly to me are now getting revelation of who he is. And the ones that cannot maneuver, walk on their own, I don't know what to do, Pastor. I just don't know which way to turn. The spiritual lame. I, I don't know what to do. I'd like to, but all the things. But I, 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 just, I love, love this, but I, just, I, I don't know how to do I can't swing it right now. I don't know what to do. And God intervening with that mobility, giving them mobility again, coming back to that house of intervention, 
And the church, as they come in, the church is there praying and beginning to pull down these strongholds and lies of the enemy and releasing the power of God that has come upon us, not just the spirit that's in us, upon us. Now all of a sudden I see the church rising up and having a concern for something more than themselves, more than just making a living, more than all this other stuff. Now I've seen them sorting things out. So you know the real thing I really need? I need a fullness in my life that I cannot buy and I cannot get on my own. I need that thing that Jesus can, only him can offer. I'm seeing that in a local church. I'm seeing that happen. And the church is transforming. The ones that are outside are coming in. The ones that are inside are going out. Money changers, be gone. You know the ones who you are. If it suits you, fine. If it don't suit you, I'll just go out someplace else. But the ones that are designed, man, I would love to have, boy, I would, uh, man, I just don't, I would, I, I just can't see that right now. How many of you ever said, I just can't see that right now? Then that's a blindness in your spiritual eye. I, I just can't see it. Well, then it's a blindness in your spiritual eye because it come to the Father and He'll make all things exposed to you. He'll let you see just what the things really are. If you want it, if you desire it. Help anybody this morning? I know I'm preaching better on getting response to this morning. It was okay? All right. Praise the Lord. Now, house of prayer, house of intervention. You're the house. Now, before I close out this wonderful message that you're all excited about, let me also say this. Okay. The house of intervention. What happens when we come together? Glad you asked. You know the Holy Spirit that's within you when you're all out there in the world and you're praying to God and you, you know, I, I assume as your pastor you're praying to God when you're out there. And tending to your spiritual life, you're reading your Bible, you're doing your daily devotions. How many do that? And you're doing that time with God. You know that spirit that's within you that begins to well up and share things with you and you listen to the voice of God speaking to you in your bedroom? Now, now, all you that do that, Bring them in here. Do you know what happens in here? It's called the corporate anointing where we come together. Paul said, do not forsake assembling ourselves together and even so more as you see the day approaching. Talking about the last day. Why? Because you're going to need it more than you've ever needed it for in your life. What happens now? As you walk in the door, even our workers here that do different things in our, song, our, our, our music team that does things. Now, instead of just the having a spirit well up within you to come out of you, now it comes upon you. Because when we get together with other people in the corporate anointing, the corporate anointing is something that's laid out only in the corporate. Therefore, it has to come upon you. And when it comes upon you, it's no longer about you, but about other people around you. And now the church becomes this, this engine that is, that, is, that, is, that is dynamics, is fueled by the Father and the heart of the Father. Now we come and where two or three are gathered. Now all of a sudden, the whole law of God resides on two people or three people gathering. In my name, my spirit is in the midst of the gathering. Now the Holy Spirit descends upon us. And not just in us and through us, but upon us. And when it comes upon us, now it works around us. And now when we walk down the street, drunks will get sober. <laughs> I had to put Key West on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but there's an empowerment that comes into the local church. 
and begins to change and transform that you can only get from the corporate anointing. Why is Satan working so hard on keeping people out of the church house? Why? you got to ask yourself that question. When God says no, even as you see this day approaching, more, more, more as you see the day approaching, not less, less, less. So why is people going this way? Because the devil's saying so, but God's saying no. He's beckoning us back in. Come on, come on, come on. Get back to the house of the Lord. Get back to the service of God. Bring your burnt offerings. Burn some of that stuff. That's a good analogy. One of the things I'm going to do, I think I'm going to get a fire barrel, sit out in the parking lot. I'm going to mass burning ceremony when the time is appropriate. Hallelujah. I, that, this, I mean, we wear them because we have to, you know. I was talking to my, my grandson. I think I shared this with you. I was talking to my grandson one time. He, and he, he just could not get into Key West where he was coming from. He just was not going to wear a mask. And he's got a pretty face. He didn't want to cover it up. Anyway, so I tell my grandson, I says, I says listen, a cop down, we're downtown. A cop will write, he'll write you a ticket for not wearing a mask. So he put a mask on just to, just to please me. And I'll look at him, I'll take the thing off, you know. I said, now you got to leave that mask on. I said, this, this is a, a city ordinance. I mean, you got you to wear the mask. I said, haven't you heard, Elijah? I said, haven't you heard? I said, it's, 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 the, it's the new mark of the beast. We can't buy or sell without the mask on. <laughs> he said, well, Grandpa, say that about clothes. You can't buy or sell unless you're wearing clothes. Got to give it to him. I mean, <laughs> of course, we were just kidding. It really is the mark of the beast. I thought the way he came back was just that, about that quick. I thought that was pretty clever. I said, very good, very good. Uh, I like somebody who can think, pass on his feet. Praise the Lord. Are you here? Yes. So when we come together, can we come in agreement that when we come together, that this, the Spirit of God descends upon us? This is the, the realm of my beloved son, my beloved daughter, who I am well pleased. Would not be nice to hear from the Father on a Sunday morning as we're walking in the church, getting ready, preparing to do what we're doing, getting this ready, getting that ready, uh, getting our live stream set up and everything else. In all our duties and working, wouldn't it be nice to hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. He's not looking at you for who you, are, who you see yourself as. He's looking at you through the blood of Jesus. This is my firstborn of many brethren, but I'm seeing the brethren. This is the one. This is who I've, I've left my anointing with. This is the, see, God didn't leave us here. Once, uh, I say leave us here when we get born again. We just didn't rapture out of here. He just didn't leave us here uh, to take up space. We are, the, we are the, the ambassadors that are connected to the realm that people cannot see, the supernatural realm or the realm where God lives. We are his ambassadors not to just go along with the world and live in the world as comfortably as we possibly can. We're the ones that were sent, left here, however you want to phrase it, we're the ones that were here to change this world. You don't like what's going on in your household? Change it. Don't sit there with a victim mentality because then what happens is the Spirit of God cannot move through a victim mentality. You're not a victim. That's right. Amen. I said, you're not a victim. Amen. Now, if you are been a victim of some kind of heinous crime, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritually as we're talking about a vict uh, uh, victims. Well, I don't know. You know, I just, I, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I can do. Oh, that's an understatement. You don't know. But I can introduce you to the one who does. Yes, sir. But here's the thing it's going to take change. Are you ready to change for what the Lord has for you next? How many got something out of this yeah. message? I got more, but I got to stop. I'm running out of time. So basically, 
Quite a waste of my time. Praise the Lord.